the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Before I begin, I just want to say thank you for your generosity yesterday with the Union Gospel Mission Radiothon. We almost made our goal. I think we're about 34 meals, uh, Thanksgiving baskets short. So if you'd like to Weigh in on that uh, effort to provide for our neighbors. You can still do that at kpdq.com. Well, as you probably know by now, former President Donald Trump announced his long-rumored third presidential run on Tuesday from Mar-a-Lago. He ensured a tumultuous road for the Republican Party leading up to the 2024 nomination. I mentioned in jest last week that the 2024 presidential race would begin days after the end of that midterm election. And well, apparently it's actually true. Former President Trump said, ladies and gentlemen, distinguished guests and my fellow citizens, America's comeback starts right now. The president told um, hundreds of supporters gathered in the Mar-a-Lago ballroom for the announcement. The former president began his remarks by touting his first term successes, focusing in particular on economic growth and foreign policy and drawing a contrast between America standing in the world stage when he left office and the debased position, he argued, the Biden administration has put the country in since. Again, quoting, the world was at peace, the country was prospering, and we were on track for an amazing future. Under our leadership, we were a great and glorious nation. We were a strong nation and a free nation, but now we are a nation in decline. We are a failing nation, end quote. Well, the former president claimed that he built the wall at the southern border, even though it remains unfinished, after which he clarified that he wants to continue to add on to it. The former president suggested the U.S. should model its drug crime enforcement on China's authoritarian system and hound out the death sentence for dealers. In the same breath, however, he slammed President Xi Jinping, who he called the king of China. I call him king, he said. No, no, I'm not. uh, I'm not king. I said, yes, you are the king. You're president for life. It's the same thing, end quote. Well, Trump's campaign filed the um, requisite paperwork with the Federal Elections Committee, um, Minutes before he was scheduled to take the stage at Mar-a-Lago to make the announcement, the Trump Save America Joint Fundraising Committee was listed as an affiliated organization with the campaign. The widely expected announcement comes after a poor showing for Trump-endorsed candidates in the midterms, which weakened the former president's standing, his status as a kingmaker in the party and the presumptive nominee for 2024. Numerous polls of likely 2024 primary voters taken in the wake of the midterms have shown Florida Governor Ron DeSantis making gains on Trump and in some cases overtaking him. The former president told a story similar to his 2016 and 2020 platforms of America's dissent under progressivism. Two years ago, we were a great nation, he said, and soon will be a great nation again. The decline of America is being forced upon us by Biden and the radical left lunatics running our government right into the ground, he went on to say. 
Some Trump loyalists were surprisingly not in the audience. For instance, Florida Republican Matt Gates, after urging Trump to announce his run a day before the midterms, told reporters on Tuesday that he could um, he could not attend the launch due to an uh, the inclement weather. Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr. were also absent from the speech. Ivanka released a statement saying that she would not play an active role in the Trump third uh, campaign. I love my father very much. This time around, I am choosing to prioritize and the private life we are creating as a family. I do not plan to be involved in politics, she said. While I will always love and support my father going forward, I will do uh, So outside the political arena, I am grateful to have had the honor of serving the American people, and I will always be proud of our administration's accomplishments, end quote. Well, the former president bragged about his endorsement success rate in the midterms, which he claims were 232 wins and 22 losses. However, the candidate he picked uh, in swing states, crucial to capture in order to secure a GOP-controlled Congress, failed to deliver. The most significant losses were Pennsylvania Senate and Governor, Arizona Senate and Governor, Nevada Senate, Michigan Governor, and New Hampshire Senate. At an Ohio rally for Republican J.D. Vance and Mike DeWine on the eve of Election Day, Trump hinted that he would make a very big announcement the following week, this week, so as not to detract from the importance of tomorrow, which was Tuesday, Election Day. Trump reportedly faced pressure from some associates to postpone his presidential run until after the Georgia Senate runoff race. That won't take place until late or mid-December. Jason Miller, a close Trump ally, recently said, I've advised the president to hold off until after the Georgia race, after Herschel Walker. This is bigger than anything else in the country, end quote. Well, for months, Trump has alluded to his intention to run in 2024 while doubling down on the claim that he won the 2020 election, which he alleges was stolen by President Biden. He nodded toward the wide-reaching conspiracy during his remarks on Tuesday night, implying that China intervened to swing the election to President Biden. Well, since last Tuesday, the former president has taken repeated shots at DeSantis, his closest rival, who recently won re-election in a landslide. He also targeted Republican Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin recently, claiming credit for his 2021 election, despite the fact that Youngkin kept Trump at arm's length during his campaign, opting instead to focus on parental rights and education and opposition to overly strident COVID lockdown policies. So Trump is in it to win it. In other news, he raised uh, eyebrows by criticizing the Florida governor, also rumored to be considering a 2024 run for president, calling the Republican governor Ron DeSanctimonious and describing him as an average Republican governor with great public relations. Former Vice President Mike Pence, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, and Maryland Governor Larry Hogan are also reportedly considering bids for the Republican presidential nomination in 24. We're giving it consideration in our house, prayerful consideration, the former Vice President Pence said in an interview that aired Monday on ABC's World News Tonight. As for whether he believes the former president should run again, the former vice president said that's up to the American people. But I think we'll have better choice, better choices in the future. Hmm. One of the House Democrats who led the second impeachment effort against former President Trump 
is rallying support in Congress for a bill to bar the former president from holding public office again. Representative uh, David Cicilline, the Democrat from Rhode Island on Tuesday, he sent a letter to his Democratic colleagues arguing that Trump has forfeited his right to ever hold federal office again for leading an insurrection against the United States. End quote. He asked for co-sponsors on legislation that would prevent Trump from holding public office again under the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. The letter was uh, circulated to House Democrats hours before uh, Trump announced his third campaign for the White House. The author of the bill, uh, who uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi named as an impeachment manager, After the January 6th, 2021 riot at the U.S. Capitol, accused the former president of instigating an insurrection against the government and arguing the Constitution bars him from becoming president again. He cited Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which was written in the 1860s to prevent former U.S. officials who joined the Confederacy during the Civil War from occupying positions in the federal government. The Rhode Island Democrat said that his legislation details testimony and evidence collected by the select committee on the January 6th riot and reports on the events of that day to make the case that Trump helped to plan and encourage an insurrection to overturn the lawful results of the 2020 presidential election. We'll continue to follow that face off as it approaches. Well, the balance of power in Washington, the uncalled House races, nine congressional races remain uncalled with control of the House hanging in the balance. Republicans are now one seat away from capturing a majority of seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. There's still nine races yet to be called that will determine how close the margin could be for the GOP should it ultimately prevail. A party must win 218 seats to win a majority in the 435-seat body, the feat appearing to be within the grasp of the GOP, who've won 217 seats so far to the Democrats' 209. Some of these races, Alaska's at-large congressional district has been rated as lean Democrat due to the state's newly implemented rank choice uh, voting system giving incumbent Democrat Representative Mary Peltola an advantage against her Republican opponents, former Governor Sarah Palin and Nick Begich. Peltola, she led the first round of votes with Palin in second and Begich in third, but failed to secure 50 percent, meaning those who voted for the candidate with the least number of votes will have the second choice vote reallocated to the other candidates until one reaches 50 percent. The second round tabulation is scheduled to take place on Wednesday, November 23rd. Maine similarly implemented a ranked choice voting system following a statewide referendum in 2016. Incumbent Democratic Representative Jared Golden failed to reach 50 percent of the vote late uh, last week, but is currently leading former Republican Congressman Bruce Palquin who represented the district from 2015 to 2019. The second round tabulation is scheduled for Tuesday, November 15th. Republican Kevin Kiley holds a commanding lead over Democrat Kermit Jones. Uh, However, approximately only a little over half of ballots have been counted in the likely Republican race. California expects, uh, rather accepts, mail ballots for the week following Election Day, although the ballots must be postmarked by Election Day. The ballots also have to go through a signature verification process before being counted this long after Election Day. We'll continue to talk about some of the races that are yet to be decided and much more when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just before the break, we were talking about the balance of power in Washington and the uncalled House races. 
Um, it's as it stands, the GOP is nearing a majority. There are nine congressional races that remain uncalled with control of the House hanging in the balance. I already mentioned Alaska uh, at their at large uh, congressional district and Maine uh, District two, California District three, among others, California District three. This toss up race is among the tightest remaining is Republican John Duarte. Uh, he narrowly leads Democrat Adam Gray by less than 800 votes. California District 22 in another tight race, incumbent Republican Representative David Valadio. He leads Democratic challenger Rudy Salas uh, by more than 3,000 votes. Power rankings has uh, has rated the race as a toss up. California District 27 incumbent Republican Representative Mike Garcia holds a commanding lead over Democratic challenger Christy Smith. By a little more than 13,000 votes in the lean Republican seat. And in California District 47, incumbent Democratic Representative Katie Porter leads Republican challenger Scott Bow by less than 3,000 votes in this toss-up race. California District 49, this toss-up race currently has incumbent Democrat Representative Mike Levin um, leading Republican challenger Brian Mayotte uh, by a little more than 13,000 votes. And finally, in Colorado District 3, incumbent Republican Representative Lauren Boebert was not expected to have such a close race with her Democratic opponent, Adam Frisch, in this um, likely Republican seat. However, the one-term congresswoman is narrowly leading the vote count by a little more than 1,000 votes. Mail-in ballots from out-of-state and overseas military service members can arrive as late as today, as long as they were postmarked by Election Day, meaning the count could continue into later this week. Well, in other news from Washington, an internal election Wednesday uh, in that election, Representative Rick Scott failed to unseat Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell from his GOP leadership role in the upper chamber. A majority of GOP senators voted to reinstate McConnell 37 to 10 to 1, with one senator voting present after a motion spearheaded by a number of Republican lawmakers to postpone the leadership election until after the Georgia runoff race in December failed. During that closed-door meeting on Tuesday, 16 senators voted to delay the leadership election. When asked at a press conference Wednesday whether he'd consider stepping down after presiding over the GOP conference for 15 years, McConnell responded, I'm not going anywhere. Scott confirmed Tuesday that he intended to challenge the veteran Republican leader. Well, the two had sparred on political strategy leading up to the midterms, particularly over a GOP policy framework that Scott insisted on releasing despite the objections of party leaders who believed it would paint a target on Republicans back backs rather ahead of the midterms. And to some degree, it did. The framework included a sunset provision that would require nearly all federal spending programs to go through a renewal vote every five years. The plan would would make Medicare and Social Security more vulnerable to budget cuts. The Biden administration warned throughout October and November. However, McConnell's assured that Scott's plan will not be part of a Republican Senate majority agenda earlier this year. Hence the face off. Well, Scott's push to put McConnell leadership to a vote suggests he faulted the minority leader, at least partially, for the GOP's abysmal performance in the midterm elections. The GOP has been caught in a blame game since the flop. Uh, pointing fingers at figures and phenomenon ranging from former President Trump to Gen Z turnout to McConnell's decision to withhold financial backing from certain candidates. So the uh, cannibalism is running at pace. Well, in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's famous Sherlock Holmes tale, Silver Blaze, the detective investigates the case of a murder of a horse trainer. 
At first, investigators presume that the murder of the trainer must have been a stranger to him. But Holmes cracks the case when the revelation that a watchdog remained silent the night the murder took place. A curious incident, as Holmes put it, if the watchdog had been confronted by a stranger. No, Holmes concludes, the murderer must have been known to the watchdog. Well, Ben Shapiro points out that the FTX dog didn't bark. He he writes that we would do well to keep Holmes' curious incident in mind when discussing the complete meltdown of FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange run by Sam Bankman-Fried, a man who looks like he emerged from a laboratory dedicated to the manufacture of charlatans. Well, Bankman-Fried was um, at one point worth some $26 billion. His exchange was the second largest in the world. But he also bragged about never reading books. I won't quote what he said because it's profane. He lived in a um, polycule, a polyamorous semi-colony, along with nine of his executives. He wore gym shorts and T-shirts to important company events with Bill Clinton and Tony Blair. He placed uh, at uh, the head of human resources, the girlfriend of the director of engineering, and as chief operating officer, his own uh, intermittent girlfriend, and as head of his associated hedge fund, yet another intermittent girlfriend. The red flags, rather, were endless. And yet the scam continued in the coverage of FTX's meltdown. Many in the media have been rather slow to ask a simple question. Why didn't anybody notice that SBF was, um, well, one of the most obvious scam artists of all time? Perhaps it's the insanity of the digital age in which those fresh out of college can be assessed as billionaires without actually showing a balance sheet. But there's something else going on here. SBF was a key cog in a political machine dedicated to the proposition that a coalition of like-minded left-wingers can seize the reins of capitalist enterprise and then work with friends and government to restructure and reconstruct the world. That, after all, was what SBF was publicly attempting to do. He dumped $40 million into midterm elections in support of Democrats. He did support one Republican. He donated $5.2 million to then-candidate Joe Biden during the 2020 election cycle. He would pledged the FTX Foundation to hand out $1 billion in 2022. He did all of this in the same supposed effective altruism, a philosophy in which left-wingers seek to use capitalism in order to enrich themselves, then dump the money into favored causes. Quoting, I wanted to get rich, not because I like money, but because I wanted to give that money to charity, SBF told one interviewer. Effective altruism is just another iteration of the World Economic Forum approved stakeholder capitalism idea. The idea that CEOs owe their shareholders nothing but the world at large, their time, money and resources. There is a reason that FTX had uh, partnered with WEF, the fact that uh, it has now obscured by uh, cleaning its website. Well, how many scam artists are using such blue washing, as they call it, in order to cover for malfeasance, all the while colluding with government figures to redraw regulations that benefit them? That, after all, was SBF's biggest scam. He was an advocate of particular types of regulation that benefited him and used both familial and business connections in order to protect his uh, corporatism. And that's the dog that didn't bark. Where were the regulators with whom SBF was close? Where were the supposed advocates of ethical capitalism who posit social responsibility, but whose friends seem to repeatedly be caught with their fingers in the cookie jar, um, dating all the way back to Bernie Madoff? 
Maybe just maybe the problem isn't with capitalism per se and its chief admonition, caveat emptor, its belief that trust is to be earned rather than granted freely. Maybe the problem is with a a cadre of supposed protectors of the public who aren't out to protect the public at all, but to uh, hobnob with other change agents from um, Bahamian estates while patting themselves on the back for all the good they're doing. And by the way, he's holed up in the Bahamas. Uh, there hasn't been an indictment against him just yet, but uh, once there is one, extradition will certainly be on the minds of those who are seeking answers. Well, meantime, the FDX founder uh, has been hit with a class action lawsuit that also names Brady, Bunchen, Shaq, and Curry. Names you're probably familiar with. Well, the class action lawsuit by investors, uh, investors rather, alleging he and other high-profile celebrities, such as legendary NFL quarterback Tom Brady and NBR, NBA star Stephen Curry, violated Florida law and made consumers suffer more than $11 billion in damages. Well, the 41-page document filed on behalf of the Oklahoma resident Edwin Garrison of the U.S. District Court Southern District of Florida comes as FTX, led by crypto billionaire Sam Bankman-Fried, filed for bankruptcy last week. The lawsuit, which names Sam Bankman-Fried, Tom Brady, Giselle Bunchen, Stephen Curry, Golden State Warriors Shaquille O'Neal, Udonis Haslam, David Ortiz, William Trevor Lawrence, um, Naomi Osaka, Uh, Lawrence Jean David, Kevin O'Leary seeks to make them responsible for the many billions of dollars in damages they caused plaintiff and the classes and to force defendants to make them whole, end quote. Well, the suit describes the well-known celebrities as all parties who either controlled, promoted, assisted in and actively participated in FTX trading and FTX U.S., uh, offer and sale of unregistered securities in the form of yield-bearing accounts to residents of the United States. The deceptive and failed FTX platform was based upon false representations and deceptive conduct, the lawsuit reads. And although many incriminating FTX emails and texts have already been destroyed, we located them and they evidence how FTX's fraudulent scheme was designed to take advantage of unsophisticated investors from across the country who utilize mobile apps to make their investments. As a result, American consumers collectively sustained over $11 billion in damages. The lawsuit says Brady and his ex-wife Bunchen are FTX ambassadors who joined the company's $20 million ad campaign in 21, filming a commercial showing them telling acquaintances to join the FTX platform. Defendant Stephen Curry had his own nationwide ad campaign pushing the deceptive FTX platform known as the Not an Expert campaign. Throughout the ad, Curry repeatedly denies being cast as an expert in cryptocurrency, culminating in his statement that I'm not an expert and I don't need to be. With FTX, I have everything I need to buy, sell and trade crypto safely, the lawsuit also says. Well, the lawsuit was filed in Florida because the defendants, it says, conduct business in Florida and or have otherwise intentionally availed themselves of the Florida consumer market through the promotion, marketing and sale of FTX's W or rather YBAs in Florida, which constitutes committing a torturous act within the state of Florida. So it will be very interesting to see how this um, this all pans out. But I'm guessing that the the founder, the head of this whole organization is going to be is uh, in a lot of trouble. Sam Bankman freed if he uh, either returns to the country or is expedited back to the United States. So we'll see. Well, in other news, the missile that crossed over into Polish territory and killed two civilians on Tuesday 
were likely filed by the Ukrainian air defense system rather than Russia. We'll tell you more about that in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We were talking about the... Uh, Missile that landed in Poland, we're now being told by Polish leadership that it was not launched by Russia. U.S. NATO officials are also concurring. Well, the missile that crossed into Polish territory killed two civilians. This was on Tuesday. Were likely fired by the Ukrainian air defense system rather than Russia. Well, the explosion in Poland was likely caused by a Ukrainian air defense strike fired at an incoming Russian missile, the U.S. officials told the Associated Press. The Polish president said on Wednesday that there is evidence to suggest that Poland was not intentionally targeted, but caught in the crossfire of an air defense missile. I just want to pause for a moment and suggest that we this is an illustration of just how quickly things could broaden and escalate uh, into a a, um, Worldwide conflict, and this is very sobering to consider. Ukraine's defense was launching their missile in various directions, and it is highly probable that one of these missiles unfortunately fell on Polish territory, said Duda, the Polish president. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, to suggest that it was an intentional attack on Poland. We have no proof at the moment that it was a missile fired by the Russians, Duda went on to say on Twitter. NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg on Wednesday said that there was no indication this was the result of a deliberate attack. He said that he did not believe the strike was part of an offensive military action against NATO. Now, Interestingly enough, it could be something intentional or unintentional that could escalate this conflict between Russia and Ukraine into a worldwide conflict. Uh, So this being just the latest example of how quickly things could spiral into a much broader engagement. Well, in a possible recount, Republican Carrie Lake has been defeated in the high-profile Arizona governor's race. Silence speaks volumes as NBC is mum after pulling Miguel Almaguar's explosive Paul Pelosi report. A lot of controversy around what actually happened and why they're unwilling to talk about it. Threatening ballooning debt damage, inflation risks remain as Congress eyes billions in a year-end spending spree. In a costly tweet, the fault lines for the 2024 elections are already taking shape, with the two parties in diametrically opposed positions, and there's no greater divide than over parental rights. That stark difference was no more evident than in a tweet from Representative Eric Swalwell, who mocked the notion of parents making major decisions in the education of their children. The California Democrat insisted that it is akin to putting patients in charge of their own surgeries, clients in charge of their own trials. Swalwell declared, please tell me what I'm missing here. This is so stupid. Well, if I had time, I would tell him what Representative Swalwell, a lawyer, is missing is called informed consent. Far better options. Conservative hardliners are airing objections to McCarthy as Speaker of the Republican Majority House. And still on top, Republican senators predict McConnell will be um, have backing to remain the party leader. That was confirmed today. And collusion alleged, a judge says an FBI agent can be deposed for allegedly working with Meta to bury the Hunter Biden laptop story. The winning ticket, the student loan buyout and abortion won the midterms for Democrats. President Biden and critics say holiday warning. NBC News suggests kids avoid physical interaction with the unvaccinated this holiday season. Wow. Even though the vaccine does not limit transmission, but you're not really supposed to think that one through. 
In a vote count fiasco, MSNBC's Andrea Mitchell says Arizona's Maricopa County is among the best vote counting processes. Seriously? She clearly has not been paying attention. On the road to 2024, President Trump ignored GOP rivals and announced his 2024 presidential bid. Well, saying it's bigger than Enron, the collapse of uh, cryptocurrency exchange FTX, amid reports that at least $1 billion in client funds disappeared, impacting potentially around a million customers, has prompted comparisons to some of the most notorious financial scandals in recent decades. Yet the magnitude of customers' impact is much long, uh, larger, rather. FTX, which as it uh, at its peak was the third largest cryptocurrency exchange, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protections on Friday. And the company confirmed over the weekend that millions of dollars worth of assets are unaccounted for. The company's founder faces allegations that he secretly transferred $10 billion from FTX to Alameda Research, his hedge fund that also filed for bankruptcy. The company is facing a criminal probe in the Bahamas, and on Tuesday, Senate Banking Committee Chairman Sherrod Brown, a Democrat from Ohio, called on Bankman Friedman to, or Freed rather, to appear before his panel. A boosting candidate, Sam Bankman Freed, the founder of bankrupt crypto exchange FTX, was a major contributor to Democratic candidates during the midterm election cycle, funneling most of his donations through a little-known political action committee. Overall, in 2021 and 22, Bankman Freed, he donated approximately $38 million to various candidates and PACs, mainly giving his cash to Democratic candidates and left-wing groups, according to the Federal Elections Commission filings. The majority of his political givings, though, went to the uh, Protect Our Future PAC, a group of um, a group rather founded in January that's dedicated to boosting candidates committed to preventing future pandemics. Teaching transgenderism to uh, toddlers, California early childhood teacher admits using a gender unicorn to instruct kids on sexual attraction. Toddlers, apparently. Ivanka Trump, in an exclusive interview, said that she loves and supports her father, former President Donald Trump, very much, but doesn't plan to be involved in politics and says her focus is prioritizing her young children and her family. Heroes welcome. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida received a hero's welcome on Tuesday night as he addressed an audience of leading Republicans minutes before former President Trump announced he was launching a 2024 White House bid. DeSantis, who last week won a landslide re-election victory for a second term steering Florida, garnered a standing ovation from the audience as he delivered a keynote conversation at the Republican Governors Association's winter meeting in Orlando, according to multiple sources in the room. Taking a wait-and-see approach, Republicans are giving McCarthy time to strike a deal with the House Freedom Caucus before the final speakership vote. And saying it's all about activism, radio host and former CIA officer Buck Sexton slammed NBC News' suspension of the correspondent Miguel Almaguar uh, shortly after his report on Paul Pelosi was scrubbed from the outlet's website. Sexton went after the network for suspending the uh, reporting. Uh, over purported violation of journalistic standards while allowing anchors and pundits to wax continually about the alleged fallacy of the Hunter Biden laptop story. I think it's pretty straightforward, he said. This is yet again the American people being shown what the rules of so-called journalism are. Liars get Pulitzers and truth tellers get fired or in this case suspended because it's all about activism. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show coming up in our second hour today. A conversation I had with John Ferguson, author of Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. We'll also take a look at warnings being issued by faith leaders about the so-called Marriage Act, saying it will diminish religious freedom. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program as well. Well, saying democracy is better for it, Former President Obama praised the 1619 Project's Nicole Hannah-Jones New Journalism Center. Scholarship, on the other hand, not so much. Well, on the defense, U.S. missile defense requires greater investment, modernization, experts say. A defensive system could have destroyed the missile that hit Poland on Tuesday. Meanwhile, Taiwan is readying its missile defenses after Chinese military vessels crossed air defense identification zone. Katie Hobbs edged out Carrie Lake for the governor's office in Arizona and a bipartisan group of senators announced uh, an agreement upon uh, terms to enshrine same sex marriage. That vote is expected sometime today. The second court, or rather the Supreme Court, rejected a case regarding a bump stock ban. The court on Monday turned away another challenge to a federal ban imposed under President Donald Trump on devices called bump stocks that enable a semi-automatic weapon to fire like a machine gun. President Biden and President Xi Jinping met. The President Biden and President Xi have met together Monday or had met for the first time in person since uh, President Biden took office on the sidelines of the G20 summit in Indonesia. President Biden raising concerns about uh, Beijing's coercive and increasingly aggressive actions toward Taiwan, among other areas of tension, the White House says. The first in-person meeting between the two leaders since uh, President Biden assumed office stretched over roughly three hours, including a break. Sending a message on Taiwan was China's top priority for the meeting. Mr. Xi told Mr. Biden the self-governing island, which China claims as its territory, is the most significant red line in the China-U.S. relation that can never be crossed, according to the Chinese readout. The U.S. men's soccer team unveiled a rainbow logo to support the LGBTQ community ahead of the World Cup run. The United States men's national team have made a huge statement at the World Cup in Gutter by redesigning their crest to incorporate the rainbow flag in a bid to show solidarity with the community. The tournament, which starts on Sunday and sees the U.S. play their opener against Wales on Monday, has been hugely controversial in the buildup given Gutter's human rights record and attitude toward homosexuality. New York considers minors getting tattoos abuse while gender reassignment surgeries are perfectly fine. According to Hot Air, New York, home of some of the most radical gender policies in the country, also has some of the strictest laws against child mutilation because children are not old enough to make decisions such as getting a tattoo, even if they have their parents' permission. The New York Times points out a 10-year-old boy walked into a nurse's office of his school in Highland, New York, and asked uh, for Vaseline. He wanted to... Rub it onto his tattoo, which he got with his mother's permission. The nurse called the police. The boy's mother was arrested. Amazing. The article quotes an official with the American Academy of Pediatrics who says that kids have um, don't have the agency to permanently alter their bodies. And yet the American Academy of Pediatrics fully endorses gender transitions for minors. So I guess if it's just superficial, that's a crime. If it's life altering and irreversible, mm, not so much. The Taliban is calling for grotesque 
public punishment in Afghanistan. No real surprise here. The BBC is reporting that Taliban leaders have ordered the Afghan judges to impose punishments for certain crimes that may include public amputations and stoning. His spokesman said offenses such as robbery, kidnapping and sedition must be punished in line with the group's interpretation of Islamic Sharia law. Iran voted to execute protesters who have been arrested. An Iranian court has sentenced an anti-government protester to death for the first time since the alleged police killing of 22-year-old uh, Amini in September set off the longest major demonstrations against Iran's cleric-led security state. Protesters have been calling for a change in Iran's leadership and an end to decades of gender discrimination and state impunity. Iranian authorities have yet to have uh, met the protests with violence and demanded harsh punishment for those who take part. Amazon is preparing for massive job cuts. Amazon plans to carry out these uh, layoffs as soon as this week, cutting roughly 10,000 jobs and adding to a growing wave of cuts hitting the uh, sputtering big tech industry. The National Education Association is facing a backlash from a tweet stating educators know what's best for children as opposed to parents. Their students are absolutely not their children. The National Education Association appears to be playing cleanup after a tweet Saturday drew harsh criticism for claiming that educators know better than anyone what students need. The NEA, one of the largest teachers unions in the United States, later turned off replies to the tweet, but not before 5,000 people responded. And they didn't respond to compliment the tweet. Russia's largest missile strike against Ukraine sees missiles land in NATO ally opponent uh, Poland, although doubt immediately spread as to whether or not it originated from Russia. Investigations continue, but we've been assured it did not. Kevin McCarthy earned the nomination from the Republicans for House Speaker and Republican Tom Emmer has been elected to House Majority Whip. The House Republican elected uh, Representative Emmer, a Republican from Minnesota, Minnesota, rather, the chief of their camping campaign team to be the House Minority Whip in a closed door conference vote on Tuesday. Texas Governor Greg Abbott declared an invasion at the southern border. The governor declared the invasion at the uh, uh, state's border with Mexico the first time in modern history that a state has determined the federal government has failed to protect citizens and the state may defend itself. The state's self-defense clause outlined in Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution and the invasion clause of Article 4, Section 4, says that if the federal government fails to protect a state, the governor may take action for the state to protect itself. The Biden administration considers extending the student loan moratorium following a pair of court rulings blocking President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. White House aides are now reportedly making plans to once again extend the federal student loan repayment moratorium to cushion borrowers from the full cost of their outstanding loans. A Georgia judge overturned the heartbeat bill there. A Fulton County judge has overturned Georgia's six-week abortion ban, ruling that two key parts of the law were plainly unconstitutional when drafted, voted upon, and enacted, and writing that the law cannot be enforced. The ruling Tuesday by Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney stemmed from a lawsuit that argued the state's heartbeat bill violated pregnant people's, now pregnant people's, as if boys can be pregnant, pregnant women's rights to liberty and privacy rights under the state constitution. Ford claims EVs require 40 percent less labor and looks to produce more parts to help save jobs. Parts, whether or not you need them, making electronic vehicles will require 40 percent fewer workers than building cars and trucks powered by petrol. The chief executive of Ford has declared, saying the car maker needs to produce more parts in-house so that everyone has a role in the transition. 
Jim Farley warned on Tuesday of storm clouds in the next phase of switching to EVs. His company has set a goal of half of global sales coming from EVs by 2030, part of a broader shift among manufacturers. The world's population has grown to 8 billion people. The world's population reached that number on Tuesday, growing by $1 billion in the last dozen years and reflecting the rapid population spike in the past few decades, with India projected to become the world's most populous country by next year, surpassing China. The world's population milestone of 8 billion people has long uh, term significance for both rich and poor countries. While it took hundreds of thousands of years for the world's population to reach 1 billion, the world grew by 7 billion to 8 billion just since 2010, a reflection of advancements in health. The GOP now leads the House 2017 to 206, and Biden, um, well, misled gullible women after the Supreme Court Dobbs decision on abortion. Democrats fear-mongered about Republicans' horrific plan to save babies' lives so as to turn out women, especially unmarried women, and young people to vote Democrat and blunt the red wave. Joe Biden motivated them by promising that the first bill he'd send to a new Democrat Congress would be one to codify Roe versus Wade. Um, so, uh, so much for that. I don't think there's enough votes to codify unless something happens unusual in the House, Biden admitted yesterday. That is, in part, merely a keen sense of the obvious. A GOP House is not going to pass that bill. But who um, had control of both chambers of Congress for the past two years and did nothing? What this ensures is that Democrats will continue to use abortion as a wedge issue motivator in future elections. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. And when we return, a conversation with John Ferguson, author of Bless, Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. That's coming up here after news and traffic on The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. So glad to have you with us. Well, if COVID-19 has taught us anything, it's that people and relationships are important. I think all of us have come to that conclusion. Well, during the months of isolation, thousands of Americans were left feeling anxious and depressed and lonely, showing us that God created us to be in community with each other. Well, to make matters worse, the 2020 U.S. presidential election left us more divided than ever before. But in this broken world, we need to intentionally, those of us who are followers of Christ, Invest in each other and serve our neighbor as Christ did. Well, 2021 must be the year to love each other well. Well, my next guest and his co-author, who happens to be his brother, uh, John Ferguson, um, has written a book that will help us in that regard. Well, Dave and John Ferguson, uh, brothers, church thought leaders and authors, want friendship to be easy. As pastors of Community Christian Church in the Chicago area, they've seen the opportunity for their congregation to invest in others around them as they become more isolated in society. Well, the book is simply titled, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. Well, John and Dave provide a step-by-step guide that encourages Christians to love others, to share the good news of the gospel, and change the world. And it all starts with one easy saying, and that is, Bless. Well, my guest is uh, John Ferguson. He is co-founding pastor of Community Christian Church in Chicago. He serves as one of its uh, lead teaching pastors and provides leadership in new ventures. He has also helped uh, co-launch New Thing and serves on the board of directors for Exponential Conference. He joins us to talk about the book he co-authored with his brother, Dave Ferguson. Thank you so much for joining us today. That's great to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm looking forward to it. 
This is such a timely book, given where we have been and where we're headed as we move away ever so slowly from uh, this pandemic that has forced us to isolate ourselves from one another. It's interesting to me as I walk through a grocery store, for example, that rather than look one another in the eye and smile, <laughs> uh, we tend to kind of move away from each other. We've been trained to to be repelled by the presence of others. This book is so timely because it helps us to consider what we're called to do as Christians. And you draw our attention in the introduction to Mark 12, verses 30 and 31, in which we're told that loving our neighbor as ourselves uh, eight times throughout Scripture and by Jesus himself um, is such a significant part of what it means to reflect the character of Christ out into the culture. Uh, thanks so much, Georgine. I think you're, you're absolutely right, uh, particularly in these times when you know we are more divided, we seem to be more separated, people are suspicious of one another for a variety of reasons. Uh, we need to follow exactly what you said, what Jesus said. That's love God and love others. It's the greatest commandment. He gave us two when we asked for one, but it's still all about loving God and loving others. And our hope is that this book really is almost a, a remedial course on what it means to be a good friend. Uh, yeah. Jesus was known as a friend of sinners, right? Wouldn't that be great if we were known as simply good friends? And then over the course of time, that can give us the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody and help them find their way back to God and Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. I think some of us, we assume that, well, Jesus had an easier time of it, or maybe the sinners in his day weren't as challenging as they are in our day. <laughs> some, somehow we excuse ourselves um, because we don't know quite how to approach what our heart really longs for, and that is to develop relationships with people who don't yet know Christ, to share the best news we've ever heard and have benefited by, but we just don't know where to start. Bless really provides us with a blueprint and how to begin that and to reflect what Jesus reflected in his ministry on earth. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're speaking my language for sure. It's interesting, um, in, in working on the book, Georgine, George Barna, we discovered, led a really interesting study, and George Barna probably knows more about church life in America than just about anybody else, where he did a study and asked friends and neighbors what they value mm. in a person with whom they would talk about spiritual matters to. So they basically talked to all of our friends out there that we would like to reach with the gospel. They wanted to find, they said this, they said they would like to see three qualities in someone that they would talk about spiritual matters to. Number one, they want someone who will listen without judgment. They want someone who will allow them to draw their own conclusions. And then they want someone who can speak confidently about their own story. That's all they want. You know, we think somehow it's our job to convince or coerce or cajole. It's our job to be friends, love people the way Jesus loved people. And then let's let God's spirit do the work of convicting and converting. Well, and I appreciate you make it very clear the role that you and I are called to play and the role that God through his Holy Spirit is called to play. We sometimes take on more responsibility than is given to us, and that makes a, a frightening prospect out of just engaging in uh, friendship and community with people who don't yet know Christ. Uh, yeah, I mean, I couldn't. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I, and Georgina, I don't know what your experience was growing up, but, you know, I and I think a lot of Christians probably feel this way, like this undue sort of kind of kind of pressure to do it a certain way. And, mm -hmm. to, and, it, and it's all about a verbal witness. Now, I'm not saying that proclamation or verbal witness isn't important, but I think sometimes we get kind of the, the cart ahead of the horse, if you will. And if we will lay the groundwork, and I think these blessed practices do that, I think we'll find that we'll have an opportunity for a verbal witness and even a more powerful verbal witness than if we begin with the verbal witness. Yeah, and that is so much of the example that we see Jesus set for us. And let's talk about the five blessed practices because it's blessed period, L period, E period. What are the blessed practices 
uh, that are everyday ways that you and I can share the love of Christ with our neighbor. And as you point out, change the world. Sure, Georgina, I can do that. I'll, I'll give you the five real quick. And then if you want, we can kind of dig in a little bit deeper on one or two of them later yeah. on. But it begins with the letter B in bless, and it's begin with prayer. Now, I know that's a little bit of a stretch from an acronym standpoint, but it's begin with prayer. It gets better. Trust me. And keep in mind, these are all things that Jesus did. So we didn't just make this up, okay? Jesus blessed people, and he began with prayer. We see that over and over again in Scripture. Uh, The second one, then the L, is for listen. And uh, what we found is, and I think we all sort of intuitively know this, that you know, listening is one of the most profound and meaningful gifts we can give someone to intentionally listen to them, their dreams, their hopes, their fears. So begin with prayer, listen. Then the third one is my favorite. It's eat. We share meals. You look at the life of Christ. He shared meals with people all the time. It was a great way for him to, to connect with others and, and let them know that he loved them. So we begin with prayer. We listen. We eat. The first S in blessed then is serve. I mean, Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Right, to serve. Right. Yeah. So it's begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve. And then the final S in blessed then is story. And we're convinced that if we will take the time to, to pray for the people that we feel like God has put in our path that we want to bless, that we want to share the gospel with. We will listen to them. We'll share meals with them, get to really know them. We'll then know how we can best serve them. And then finally, at some point, we'll probably have an opportunity to share our story and hear their story and then let the Holy Spirit do its work. And hopefully they'll come to know what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Mm. So what you're describing is a relationship that is built over time, not 15 minutes in which you have to spew out everything you know about the gospel and hope that they will fall to their knees and, <laughs> and repent. Wow, Georgina, if I didn't if I didn't know better, I, 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 you sound like you have experience in some of those other methods. <laughs> I know I do. And, and they didn't work that well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, your, as I mentioned earlier, your timing is impeccable. Given the fact that the uh, pandemic and the isolation that we've experienced, I think, has given us a longing to be together again. And what a tremendous opportunity we have to reintroduce ourselves, perhaps, to our neighbors uh, and to begin a relationship with people that we may have been in contact with for a long period of time. But we now have a good excuse to to build a relationship on these principles that will lead ultimately to sharing what's most important and, and deeply valued with the people that we learn to care about. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right on. Yep. I, and again, what's interesting is, and we could talk about this too, but what we found is some of these principles you could actually do during the pandemic, even though there mm-hmm. was social and mask wearing, but certainly coming out of it, I think where you're right, um, more than anything, I think we're finding is that people are longing for connection, you know, content. We've always been able to get content, right? I mean, that's available anywhere on the internet, all sorts of places, but connection, okay, Zoom and Skype are great. However, true connection, uh, true friendships, the kind that bless one another are, are invaluable. And I think we do have an opportunity in this space and time coming out of the pandemic, like maybe we haven't in, in years or decades uh, to really, you know, kind of, kind of put our best foot forward and show the, the world what Jesus sort of looks like with, with skin on, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And I mentioned to our listeners before our conversation that you have an appendix blessed during a pandemic. So there's some great um, ways that we can connect with people while we're on our way out of the pandemic. But we don't have to wait until things are completely clear. Now, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to continue my conversation with a co-author of uh, this important book, John Ferguson, along with his uh, brother, Dave. Bless five everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with John Ferguson, who has written a very timely book simply titled Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. I thought it was rather interesting that the first chapter uh, in the book is Why Does Sharing the Good News Feel So Bad? And you touched on this just a little bit with uh, some of the surveys that have been done to let us know what the, the world outside of the church is thinking and is looking for from us. But let's address that. Why does sharing the good news feel so bad? Is it because our approach is flawed? Oh, it's a great question, Georgine. I, I think with the best of intentions at times, we'd have to admit that our approach um, was, is, or has been uh, somewhat flawed. And, and I think, again, it goes back to this idea that many of us grew up with and, and continue to um, is continuing to be perpetuated in some circles, I think, that you know it is up to us to coerce or convince or cajole people, and we kind of take the Holy Spirit out of it. And when in reality, I think what, what we need to do is learn to really, what does it look like to bless people, to love people, and then look for the opportunity then to, to share a gospel witness with them. And, you know, when I was first trained in evangelism, you know, it was these two diagnostic questions. We'd knock on doors and we'd, we'd mm. you know, pummel people with these questions immediately. And I'm not saying at all that there wasn't some good done with that. There was some really good that came out of it, but I also think there was probably some harm. And I think it also left a lot of your average everyday Christ followers who really do want to help their neighbors and their loved ones get to know Jesus, understand the gospel. I think it kind of left them feeling like, I'm never doing that. I can't possibly do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Whereas we can just kind of back up and say, okay, well, what did, what did Jesus do? He went about blessing the people in places that he came across every single day. And then if we give them some simple tools that really do reflect what Jesus did, I think we want people to walk away from this book saying, you know what? Maybe I, maybe I can help someone find their way back to God. I appreciate that the first um, blessed practice is to begin with prayer. I think that's so often left out. I'm pretty much on my own. I'm going to try to fashion this relationship in a way that works for me. We don't take the time to begin with prayer. And that's such an important element in blessing others as we're attempting to love them as we have been loved by Christ. Yes. And, and I think you're right, Georgine, in that oftentimes we, you know, we say pray first, but really it's almost like, well, that's like your last resort. Our focus here is, yeah, begin with prayer. Mm -hmm. You know, when Jesus started his earthly ministry, uh, in Luke chapter six, verse 12, it says he went out on a mountain and he prayed over and over again. We find Jesus retreating to pray. And so I like to tell people, if you're not sure who God is calling you to bless, like Jesus, begin with prayer. Uh, one, one way that I try to practice this is uh, in my journaling. And I try to you know spend some time daily in prayer and quiet reflection and journaling. At the bottom of my journal, I have the letters B-L-E-S-S -S, on the journal. And then below that, I have a list of names of people that I feel like are in my circle of influence that God is asking me to bless. And so now I'm not going to say I do it every day, but most days I'm looking at that list and I'm praying for those people by name, asking God to give me opportunities to bless them. And I think it's important to note that by doing that, you're already blessing them. Like that actually counts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, somebody challenged me one time with this thought. They said, you know, there are people that you come across every single day who have never not once in their lifetime had someone pray for them. And I don't mean, you know, stop them, you know, in the middle of the street, lay your hands on them and pray out loud. I just mean, you know, offer a simple word of prayer, even if they don't know that you're doing it. 
you know, I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad had been praying for me before I was born. And so we have an opportunity to really bless people, um, begin blessing them by simply praying for them. And I say, you know, if you don't know what to pray for, think of it like the golden rule of prayer. You know, pray for others as you would have them pray for you. Mm-hmm. A great way to start. So, yeah, begin begin with prayer. It's, it's, it's absolutely foundational. Uh, the second blessing uh, practice is to listen. And that sometimes can be hard for us because we're so anxious to share the good news because it's good news. We're not prepared to listen. And if we don't like what we're hearing, we may want to interrupt and interject or talk a bit about how we can bless others by simply listening and honoring them by listening. Yeah. You know, again, I go back to the life of Jesus. If you think about it and and, and read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, asking questions and then listening was central to his life and teaching. He asked way more questions than he answered. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, one researcher found that of the 183 different questions Jesus was asked, he answered only a handful. Most of the time, what would he do? Respond with even more questions of his own, (laughs) sometimes to a point of frustration for some people, I think. But uh, the truth is, listening may be the kindest and most loving gift you can give somebody. Uh, You know, I was even thinking about this, you know, during the pandemic, you know, as long as you kept your distance, you could still talk to people when you're out and about, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we underestimate the value of listening and just how desperate people are for a listening ear. I think we've all had those situations when you're talking to somebody and, you know, they are so dialed in, they, they make you feel like you're the only person in the room. What a gift that is. Because we've also been in those situations where you're talking to somebody and it's it is so obvious they're either looking past you or they're already reciting in their mind what they're going to say next before you even get the words out of your mouth. Yeah. And just this whole idea of listening, it's so powerful and it, it paves a, uh, a great path for us, I think, to, to share the gospel. You know, I appreciate you reminding us that Jesus didn't answer every question. Sometimes we are fearful of being asked something we don't have the answer to because we think we have to carry the conversation. And what you've described is a genuine interest in other people that relieves us of the burden of having to uh, to carry, you know, the whole relationship and the whole conversation. So that is relieving in and of itself uh, and, and valuing other people. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, they- and again, I think if we could just... Uh, put ourselves in the, in, the, in the shoes of the other person, we all love to be listened to. And so why not just offer that gift that you enjoy experiencing to somebody else? Absolutely. Again, the book we're talking about, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. Dave and John Ferguson are the authors. The next on the list is Eat. Now, that might be somewhat intimidating to some of our listeners as well. If you're used to hospitality, inviting someone into the home, or um, you know how to manage that, uh, that may seem like, oh, a great thing to do. But for others, that can be a little bit intimidating because we feel like we have to have it all together. Talk a bit about how we love our neighbors well. Um, and and how eating together uh, can facilitate that. Absolutely. And again, you know, I, I go back to the life of Christ over and over again. We find Jesus, you know, with tax collectors, sinners doing what he's eating. And I think it's because he knew there's something special about sharing a meal that has a way of moving almost any relationship past acquaintance uh, towards friendship faster than almost anything we can do. I mean, how, how many of us have had that experience where, you're, you have an acquaintance and then either they invite you out to eat or over to your, over to their home, or you connect somewhere over a cup of coffee or dessert. And suddenly someone who you just sort of felt like you sort of knew as an acquaintance. Now it's your, your friends. 
And I think it's just something that happens over a meal. And it's, it's not surprising when you think about how central meals were mm-hmm. to the life of Jesus. I mean, the, the, one of the things that he left for us to, to, to repeatedly do over and over again, what, 2,000 plus years later, is to share a meal, the Lord's Supper, the bread and the, and the cup, right, to remember his death and resurrection. So sharing a meal is a powerful way to, to bless the people around you. And, and something you touched on, Georgine, if I could real quick. Yeah. What I think is important about these blessed practices, particularly this one on eating, is we're really not asking people to add anything to your already busy schedule. I think most of us eat, I don't know what, three meals a day, seven days a week, about 21 meals a a week. Some of us more, (laughs) some of us less. (laughs) Maybe throw in a dessert or two. Uh, What I would challenge people to, and we have tools in each one of the chapters of the book that kind of help you walk through this, is instead of eating those by yourself, just look for maybe two opportunities throughout the course of your week, two of those 21 to include somebody else. And don't, you know, create this elaborate dinner, you know, meal that you have to prepare. Go out to eat or just do something really simple. Share a salad. It, it, it's really just about being together and sharing that meal. Rather than by yourself, you know, do it with somebody else. And it's a great way uh, to bless them. Yeah, it really is. It's so meaningful to be invited into someone's either home or circle to just share a meal. It's it's such an intimate uh, opportunity to get to know one another a bit better. Now, we're just about out of time in this segment. Can you give us a few more minutes if I take this break? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Again, we're talking with uh, John Ferguson. He's the co-author, along with his brother, Dave, both in ministry. The book is titled, Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. And I have to tell you, it is so practical. I could do this. I'll tell you more about that in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. If you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, I'm continuing my conversation with John Ferguson. Uh, the title of the book that he and his uh, brother Dave have authored is Bless, Five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. You know, during this period of pandemic, we've had a couple of new neighbors move into our neighborhood. And so much time has passed. I'm a little embarrassed that I haven't done what a, a good already in the neighborhood person should do, and especially a follower of Christ. I haven't gone over and introduced myself. I haven't brought a, you know, a cake or something. I haven't done any. This book has inspired me to say, you know, we're in a season right now where it's very comfortable to begin something that maybe should have begun months ago, but to begin something that could uh, develop into a, a wonderful relationship and friendship and an opportunity to extend the love of Christ and maybe even share the gospel. So this book is is very timely and very practical. We haven't really talked about the structure of it, but you'll find that it's very practical in, in answering the question, is this something I could do? And the answer is, and I can say with confidence having the book, yeah, any one of us can do this and make a real impact in our in our neighborhood and with our neighbors to love them well and to change the world. Um, now we were talking about the the um, practices, the uh, bless practices that allow us to do that. Let's talk about the next one, which is serve. Um, we have tremendous opportunities to bless one another in this season. How do you suggest that we serve our neighbors in an, our effort to love them well? Yeah, well, a good question. You know, I, I think. Uh, the order of these, if I could just back up a little bit, yeah. is important. Too. So you begin with prayer, you listen, and you eat, and then you serve. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And I think he modeled for us, too, that if you will sort of follow these steps, that you will then discover how you can best serve 
the person or people that God is asking you to bless because, you know, praying, listening and eating together helps you get to know that person. And it really ensures that the serving is about the person being served and not the person doing the serving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of reminds me of um, the love languages. Most of us are probably familiar with uh, Gary Chapman's book, where yes. the important thing is to learn um, the other person's love language and love them the way they need to be loved. When our tendency is to love people the way we want to be loved. <laughs> and I think it applies here. It's important to understand, uh, you know, how your neighbor, how that person you're wanting to bless um, needs to be served and serve them in that way and not in a way that you necessarily want to. Uh, I, if I could too, you know, you mentioned your neighbor. It's interesting. Um, an example where I, I think I might've got it right this one time. We had some new neighbors moving across the street. We live on the North side of Chicago and my wife had mentioned that she uh, introduced herself to them and found out that the gentleman works for the Red Cross and that he's working super long hours uh, because he was a part of the team that came to Chicago to help increase the number of vaccinations that were available for the, um, for the COVID, uh, you know, the pandemic. And uh, it's like the next day I was at the bakery and there's this bakery has this incredible bread that we love to buy. It's uh, oh, what kind of bread is sunflower seed bread. Strange, but very, very good. And so I, I go to the bakery and I'm looking at the shelf and I notice there's two loaves of bread and there's just something in me. I'd like to think it was the spirit of God saying, you know, buy both loaves. You're going to give one of those to somebody. I didn't know who I was going to give it to at that moment. But I went in and bought both because I figured, hey, you know, <laughs> if I don't give it to somebody, we've got two loaves of really good bread. And uh, on my way home, though, I was praying about it and kind of asking God, well, you know, who should I? And that neighbor came to mind working at the Red Cross, overtime hours. Why don't I just walk over there and say, you know, what? my wife told me you're working a lot of hours. I just want to say thank you for your service, you know, helping out our city via the Red Cross with these vaccinations. I was at the bakery. I thought of you. I want you to have this loaf of bread. Hope you like it as much as I do. Not a big deal. Took me maybe 10 minutes and an extra $5 for the loaf of bread. You know, I don't know where that's going to go. But I think it was a neat way to almost combine the eat and the serve. Yeah, <laughs> I was serving yeah. them by giving them um, something to eat. And, and, and that's how it works. Sometimes, you know, it's about the people that are on your list that you're asking God to help you know how to bless them. And sometimes it's just being sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit for those moments when you have a chance to bless somebody impromptu. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. The last in the um, blessed practices is... Um, is a story where you have the opportunity to share your story. I think sometimes there's such a sense of urgency. We want to kind of blurt it out <laughs> prematurely um, because it's, it's important to us. It's, uh, you know, our walk with Christ and experiencing and knowing his love has been such a tremendous blessing in our life. We want to share that with others. Uh, talk a bit about the, the, the fifth in the practice of story, when we share ours, how we go about it, the timing and all of that, and address that sense of urgency that we may have that sabotages our relationship that we're building. Right. I think that's a, that's a really great point you make there, that the urgency is good. That's what, that's what kind of drives us or prompts us to want to share the love of Jesus with our neighbors. Uh, but I think that sadly, many people have felt like maybe they're being like sold. Uh, it's like a sales pitch rather than um, coming across as a, um, a real genuine sort of authentic reflection of the life change that you've experienced and what you know they could experience in a relationship with Christ. And so that's why, again, I think it's important for us to begin with prayer. You know, listen, just listen and, and don't talk. Mm-hmm. Christians are so known for talking. We need to be known for listening. Mm-hmm. Eat, share meals, look for ways to serve. And then finally, when people are ready to listen, I think that's when we share the story. I think that's how Jesus did it too. I mean, like when Doubting Thomas came to him asking, 
okay, Jesus, how can we know the way? And then Jesus said, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, a relationship with me. And so I think when you befriend and bless people, over time they will feel relationally safe and want to know your story. Then you can tell them how the love of Jesus, you know, his life, death, and resurrection, how that has changed your life. And even then, keep it simple. You know, Just share with them, we have this in the book, three steps. Your life before you chose to follow Jesus. You know, What was it like? How you chose to follow him. What were the circumstances around that? And then finally, your life since following Jesus. What difference has it made? And I think in that third part, it's important to be honest, too. Share, share the good stuff and share the challenging stuff, the ways that, you know, God has really come through for you in, in remarkable, if not miraculous ways, but also share those places where you're still kind of struggling or working yeah. through it and trying to figure life out like most people. I think people really, really appreciate that authenticity. Yeah, absolutely. You don't seem like an opportunist. You never read in scripture where Jesus seemed like an opportunist. I'm going here. Uh, just I'm just waiting for my moment. And I'm going to you know, jump on. He was genuinely concerned and interested in people. He was genuine in his approach. And I think that first practice of beginning with prayer and the last practice, which is sharing your story, are so inexorably linked that if you're doing the first, then you're not going to blow the, the last because your timing is going to be guided uh, not just by your sense of, OK, here's my moment. It's going to be guided by the Holy Spirit who says their heart is open. Um, and this is a moment for you to share just this much of your story story. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, it's um, it's interesting. I had when I moved to the north side of Chicago a number of years ago, I found out that a friend of mine from high school lived like two or three blocks away. And so um, we started getting together, talking a little bit, started praying for him. I felt like I was trying to listen. We shared some meals. I found out the best way to serve him really was to simply listen to him because he was going through some really difficult times relationally, vocationally, etc. That's probably been over the course of about seven or eight years. And has he ever really, I mean, I've shared my story with him. So he knows, you know, the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And just recently, he actually started going to an alpha small group with me, but he has yet to really commit his life to Jesus. That's like seven or eight years. And, and you know what, that's where I'm saying, God, yeah, I want him to, but I think that's, you know, that's kind of where I got to let the Holy spirit take over and I'll do what I can and let God take it from there. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Now, where do we begin? I know as I'm sitting here, uh, I'm broadcasting from home today. I'm thinking about specific neighbors. Where do I begin in this effort to bless um, my neighbors and to love them well, as uh, the book suggests? How do I begin, first of all, by identifying who God is calling me to to reach out to? Well, I think it's exactly what you're saying there. I think there's a couple different ways. One would be to go ahead and think about those people that are in your circle of influence. And it you know, in some situations for some people, it's, it's about proximity. It's about geography. Mm-hmm. It's those people that live next door to you across the street in your neighborhood. It could be, you know, especially as, you know, workplaces begin to move back to the office or on site, wherever that might be. It could be that person that you're sitting next to, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week that God has put in, in your path that you could begin to think about how to bless. And And I would encourage you, like I know a lot of people have that are, you know, putting these practices into play is make that list, make that a part of your regular um, journaling time and begin praying for, for those people. And then if you, if you have a circle of other Christ following friends, I think another great way to do this is make that a part of your conversation when you're getting together. If you're part of a, a small group Bible study or discussion group of some kind, when you're together, ask each other, okay, who are you blessing this week? And if you show up and your way of blessing that week was by praying 
Well, good. That counts. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Don't say I only prayed. Say, no, I prayed. I prayed for, you know, two or three different people this week. And then I would also say, um, like I mentioned earlier, make that kind of an ongoing prayer throughout the course of your day. God, help me to know who I can bless today and look for those sort of impromptu moments that you might not expect where God gives you a, an unexpected opportunity to bless somebody. Yeah, and he will certainly honor that. Well, there's so much more that could be said about the uh, about the book. One of the things that you suggest is that when we uh, purpose in our hearts that we are going to to bless our neighbors, and we've identified uh, who those people are, that we um, we are held accountable by others. We let other people know. A couple of friends uh, know that can help keep us accountable, so that we we do move forward and experience uh, the joy of blessing others as we extend uh, love and joy to them uh, through this commitment. Yeah, I, I think doing this in community is a great way to go. I mean, not to reinforce <laughs> the opportunities that we have in the book, but we do have resources available. If anybody wants access to that, like small group guides, mm -hmm. uh, videos that kind of help them train people in this, they can find that at bless-book.org. We'd be happy to help in any way we can. Excellent. Well, again, the title of the book is Bless. Uh, five Everyday Ways to Love Your Neighbor and Change the World. I know it's going to certainly influence my practice here in this area. Uh, John Ferguson, thank you so much for taking the time to, uh, to talk with us about it. Oh, completely my pleasure. Thanks so much for the opportunity. It was really fun. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Before I begin, I want to just thank you once again for your generous giving. Yesterday with the Union Gospel Mission Thanksgiving turkey baskets, we were able to almost reach our goal. I believe we're 34 baskets short. If you'd like to contribute to this effort to minister to everyone identified by the Union Gospel Mission as in need of these uh, turkey baskets, you can uh, log on to kpdq.com and give generously. Our community will be blessed. Well, leaders of faith-based institutions warned the Daily Signal on Tuesday that the Democrat-led Respect for Marriage Act, which is expected to be voted on by the Senate today, would hack away at the religious freedom of faith-based groups. H.R. 8404 provides statutory authority for same-sex and interracial marriages, repealing provisions that define marriage as between a man and a woman. Now, one of the reasons I believe they've put together same-sex marriage and interracial marriage is because they're hoping to benefit from the one at the expense of the other. Well, the legislation, which was passed by the House in July, also repeals and replaces provisions that do not require states to recognize same-sex marriages from other states with provision that prohibit the denial of full faith and credit or any right or claim relating to out-of-state marriages on the basis of sex, race, ethnicity, or national origin allows the Department of Justice to bring a civil action and establishes a private right of action for violations. Well, Democratic uh, advocates say the legislation promotes equality, but religious leaders warn that it explicitly targets people of faith. Stephen Menace, who's president of the Catholic Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas, warned that uh, Catholics institutions will have uh, a tough time living out their faith under this legislation. In fact, he went on to say, giving religious institutions a tough time seems to be the point of the legislation. But the U.S. Constitution guarantees free exercise of religion, not just expression of religion. Benedictine College is committed to those rights following the U.S. bishops who joined and an, um, 
um, amicus brief to defend our position this summer. Rabbi Yaakov Menken, the founder of the Project Genesis and the managing director of the Coalition for Jews, Jewish Values, said in a Tuesday phone interview uh, that the so-called Respect for Marriage Act is the federal government explicitly declaring the Bible is wrong, not that the legislation allows any private actor to initiate a law if a religious school wishes to recognize only traditional marriages. Well, the act means exposing community to a host of bad actors willing to engage in litigation, Minkin said. The Jewish community is used to periodic efforts to misuse the law, to abuse our rights, to live according to our religion. Here we have a piece of legislation that exposes every traditional Jewish practitioner of anything to potential litigation, he warned. Well, Richard Callahan, a pastor of Mount, uh, Mount Calvary Baptist Church in North Carolina, described the legislation as an assault. It is asking pastors and school administrators and parents to condone what God has condemned. He said on Tuesday in a phone interview, the government can make same-sex marriage legal, but it will never be moral and we will never be able to defend it. But it's government reaching in and taking from us the free exercise of religion, Callahan added, who is also president of the North Carolina branch of the American Association of Christian Schools. Roger Severino, vice president of domestic policy at the Heritage Foundation, condemned the legislation in a Tuesday statement that accused Democrats of threatening to empower woke activists inside and outside of government to attack people of faith with this bill that will be used as a cudgel against those who believe in the reality of marriage as between a man and a woman. This bill provides no benefit or protection that same-sex couples don't already have, he warned. All this bill does is target people of faith who don't support woke ideology. Well, Severino praised a robust religious liberty amendment introduced by Senator Mike Lee, Republican out of Utah, saying that it would provide real protection for religious liberty and could address some of this bill's massive problems. Americans were told that same-sex marriage was about live and let live, yet now liberals are going out of their way to undermine the religious freedom of millions of Americans. Severino concluded, no matter how the left spins this, this legislation sets a national policy for same-sex marriage that would declare open season on people of faith. Americans deserve to have their uh, First Amendment rights protected, protected rather, not attacked. And again, that bill is up for a vote. Um, it was scheduled for today. Whether or not they make that deadline is unclear, but we will certainly follow the story and report uh, once that has been concluded. Well, we're just about out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. And if you want to take a moment and contact um, Union Gospel Mission through our website, kpdq.com, and help them provide the last few meals. I believe uh, last notice, 34 meals were needed uh, in order for um, them to provide them for every household they are planning during this season. Um, and you can find all the important details, the amounts, and so on at kpdq.com. I would encourage you to do that. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.